Right, it's me, Thomas Nicholl, uh, for the fourth official here, joined this evening by by John Walker. Um, you'll probably know him from from Scots abroad, amongst other things. John, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you, Thomas? Yeah, good. Good. Thank you, mate. Good. Um, for, first question. I really want to go in straight away. How's the uh, How's the obsession with Ryan Gold coming along? <laughs> um, it's going quiet. Like I'm, oh, mate. I am. Uh, we. I've talked about this a few times recently, right? Mm-hmm. I am in a unique position whereby I'm fairly in contact with representatives of friends and Ryan Gold. So I mm-hmm. know a lot of what's going on. So I'm kind of just uh, fingers on my ears and hands over <laughs> my eyes and just ignoring every every rubbish story that I'm reading from friends extending his one-year trigger clause to um, signing for Sheffield United to link up with Paul Heckenbottom, who's not the Sheffield United manager anymore, <laughs> and, and didn't even sign Ryan Gold, just got the Hibs job after. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's just ho- I'm just hoping, fingers crossed, and I, I believe this will be the case that he stays outside of the UK, so I can continue my obsession with him because otherwise it just gets weird if I've followed him based on this Scots abroad page <laughs> and just continue to follow him even though he's no longer one of them. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, he seems, I, I don't really know anything about the guy other than his, his career, but he does seem the kind of person that wants to push himself and, and challenge himself in, in different kind of places. So I, I I don't see him being in too much of a rush to return to, to British football um, unless a, a great opportunity comes up. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him sticking around in Portugal or, or maybe crossing the border to Spain or something like that. I think it will be mainland Europe, 100%. Yeah, and I know... Like some of the some of the sources that I have trusted have been talking around Besiktas. I don't think he's got any interest, but they were definitely keen. I know mm. Legia Warsaw, who are in the Champions League this year, were very keen. But again, this is a boy who left Aberdeen and Dundee to move to Lisbon, who's been in Pharaoh for the last four years, sunning it up as mm-hmm. low as 15 degrees at its worst. He's not in a rush to go somewhere where it's Baltic. No, no chance. He's not. You're right. You're right. Right. Well, we'll come on to him a little bit more later when we talk about the national team. But um, but first of all, you, you kind of mentioned Scots abroad there, so that, that's where people, I guess, are going to recognise you from and probably recognise your voice from. So, um, tell tell me a little bit about how that how that all came about. How long you've been doing it? What what it's what it's there for, basically. So it was always something we done. So we we done a trample bet podcast, and within the trample bet podcast, we always done a Scots abroad section just because it's so monotonous talking about betting. Mm-hmm. Three guys just relaying bets is not a good podcast. It really isn't a good listening. You need something to build it up. And the Scots Abroad was something I wanted to talk about. It added in. And then just slowly over time, there became options to do interviews with people. And once we got the first one checked, it was just a snowball effect where we were almost validated by the fact we'd interviewed one footballer and it became really easy. So we were lucky that one of my close pals is pals with Ziggy Gordon. Mm-hmm. And when he moved out to Australia, was able to get him on. And then it just went for there to the point where we've had Ryan Gold, Stephen Mallon, um, Adam Moffat, who's just... Adam Moffat is just the most interesting story of any of the Scots abroad that I've ever interviewed. And I just happened to be a primary school friend of his, always tracked him being out in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just became this massive thing. So about a year and a half ago, when lockdown started, we just started doing interviews. And because everyone was stuck in, everyone was willing to do interviews. And it just grew and grew and grew to the point that it's it's actually kind of, it's actually really kind of satisfying what it is now. I mean, you guys are a massive part of that. The fourth official, we're always retweeting our stuff whenever we asked, which help, helps so much more. I ask this to a lot of people. See somebody retweeting our podcast, it literally is one click of a button to people. Yeah. But for us to get access to another fifteen hundred people who previously wouldn't have seen our tweet is is just so big because we are a grassroots podcast. We are not coming from the the position of a an open goal, mm-hmm. which had access to all these footballers and all these known names, and it was able just to snowball from there. We had, we really needed people to help us, and people have been absolutely phenomenal. And that did start with um, fourth official. We're always retweeting old firm facts. We're like the first two. And without them, I honest, with, without you guys and the old fun facts, I really don't think we would we would have kind of captured the the followers that we have recently and the listeners that we have. Yeah, well, that's that's good to hear. But I think I think you know it's it's um it's great what you do and on behalf of a lot of people in Scotland because I think that it's very easy to switch off to a lot of 
foreign-based uh, Scottish players because there just isn't that much coverage of what they're up to. And um, I, I have to confess, I wouldn't have known much about how Jack Henry was getting on last season or, or even, you know, to a point, Ryan Gold for that matter, if it wasn't for the fact that, that I follow what you guys are doing on Twitter. So it's it's a, a great service in a way that you're offering. And I'm sure it's a little bit of a great service that, that Steve Clark has been probably quite grateful <laughs> for over the last, the course of the last 12 months or so. Well, you'll remember, Thomas, we've done a, an episode for Scots Abroad with McBookie mm-hmm. for the, the Euros back in like January. And yourself, me, and Ben Nicol and Gordo were all big on the fact that we felt Grant, uh, Jack Hendry and David Bates were fighting out for a position in that squad. And I know a few people had cashed in on that bet and got, got some decent odds at like 16-1. And that was just from tracking them. Like that, that was all it was. The odds were so high because not so much the people weren't paying attention, the bookies weren't paying attention either and following them. And it just needed a couple of people. It's not just myself. There's there's quite a few people. There's um, Lewis Laird who does like a, a Celtic watch. So he was always in contact with me asking if I'd watched the game and what I'd seen because he was wanting to feedback on his page. So it was just really interesting to see how many people did have like a keen eye. And I think these stories are just so much more interesting than people go down to Sheffield Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I'm, I'm, I've got you to remind me of that podcast though, because uh, I went big off the back of it back in Johnny Russell uh, after our conversation, so think, so thinking that he was the man. And uh, I don't think either of us anticipated she Adams uh, changing his allegiance and becoming a, a Scot for the Euros. So, uh, so yeah, that's uh, thanks for the reminder there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, no, cool. Well, no, yeah, it's a great thing. Great thing being done. And like you said, there's a, there's a few few people out there that are that are doing similar, specifically, you know, the, the sort of Celtic angle with some of their foreign based players and and things like that. And it's it's good. Yeah, it's it's great that that you guys are out there sort of doing that research on behalf of a lot of people. And um, and yeah, keep it keep it up if you, as long as you don't mind continuing the the late nights <laughs> and odd hours for some for some obscure fixtures across the world. Well, that that's that's what's so funny. We do a buy me a coffee page, and it's never been more apt than when club football is at its highest. Because we will literally have a calendar that's from with Ziggy Gordon, Graham Dorans out in Australia. We could be going from Friday eight a.m. with Lewis Morgan, Johnny Russell in the U.S. up until Monday four a.m. covering a whole vast of games. It's just madness how many games, and then you could have UFC, you could have Jojo Calderwood, Paul Craig, you might have Chris Bungard or Chris Duncan fighting for Bellator. There is so much stuff going on at different time zones. It's mental to try and keep track of it. Has there ever been a point where you've got to hold yourself out of bed at a certain hour and you've just thought, why am I doing this? (laughs) Well, as it's like going to sleep sometimes after I've watched a MLS game at like four in the morning, knowing that the Australian game's on at eight, and just getting up on my weekend. Like these are my days off work where I can lie long and I have to get up. But if I didn't do it, someone else would go find another page that did it and follow them. So it's just constantly trying to keep on top of it so that people keep following us. And it might just be that one extra person that picks up from the watching Graham Dorans in the A-League that follows us out in Australia. And we just grow from there. So yeah, any opportunity, any event with a Scott, playing abroad, performing abroad that I can capitalise on and try and gain a following, I'm just going to have to get up and deal with it. I can't complain about it. It's watching sport, which is what I love doing all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Right, well, on that, let's let's go back a little bit further then. Has football just always been a massive part of your life? Did you always grow up thinking, I, I want to try and get involved in football in some way throughout throughout my adult life as well? Yeah, 100%. It's so, it's so rubbish, see... See, when you, you almost have, I've got quite, I think I've got quite a good football brain, which is why I'm obviously now doing my coaching badges. Mm-hmm. But I played with boys that all went on to play professional football. Um, Daryl Duffy was here above me in my, my school team. Steve McDougall, who ended up out in, ended up in loads of lower league clubs. Adam Moffat, like I mentioned, was in my primary school team. There was loads, a couple of boys ended up at St. Munns. So there was all these boys that you knew, you were never anywhere near. And you were like, right, I'm never going to make anything about football. Mm-hmm. And it was always just playing football with my mates until that point. And then realised like very late on that coaching badges were even a thing that people who weren't involved in professional football could actually do. Mm-hmm. And just started on that journey um, and amongst doing all this podcast stuff because I realised coaching was definitely what I wanted to do full time. So it's just chasing those badges as quick as possible to get out the way of 
all the people that are in front of you. Yeah, so so when when did you start on that sort of coaching journey then, John? Was that fairly recent as well? Yeah, so 2017. So basically, I have I basically just looked at it and went, right, if I want to do my B licence by summer 2018, I need to do 1.1, 1.2, 1.3, which means I'm going to have to be all over Scotland to do it. It's not that big a deal, but there was I done one in Aberdeen, done one in Dundee, done one in Stirling, just because the dates were so perfectly lined up that if I wanted to apply for the B license and sorry, the C license in January and the B license for June, I had to have all these boxes ticked in order at the fastest point. And it just was so happened that it lined up perfectly that if I did this right away, I could do 1.2, I could do 1.3, get my C. And if the C comes through in time, I can apply straight to the B and go again. Cause these courses are like a year long course. Mm-hmm. And then you've got to do the assessment in the summer. And then for that to then work, I want to go straight onto my A. So I had an idea. I wanted to have my A completed by four years' time. So it was 2017 I started. It'll be the end of 2021 by the time I passed my A licence, which is decent going, I guess, for, for somebody coming outside of the football world as well because I'm having to manage that whilst also doing a day job. Yeah. Whereas most people are either involved in football or already coaching at academy level, and it's it's within their remit to be working towards those badges. Yeah. Yeah, no, nah, that's good. And you're, you, like you said, you're holding down a, a job and, and you've got the podcast, the various podcasts, and then you've got sort of everyday life to manage as well, which is which is a challenge enough for, for everyone at the moment. So, uh, so yeah, good on you. Um, and what's the, if you don't mind me asking, what's the kind of aspiration? Like, do you, do you are you just thinking as big as you can? I, I'm not, not necessarily saying that like, you're going to be an English Premier League manager by, by any stretch, but is it just, you know, the, the first stage is get, get the badges, get yourself qualified as a coach and then start throwing your name out there for anything that you can do that, that helps you get experience? Yeah, I know you guys have interviewed uh, David Martindale. Yeah. Like if, if you look at where he's come from to where he went to, being a manager of a Premier League side now, mm-hmm. took, took a team in Livingston to the League Cup final. When I look at Dundee United, and it looks like they've now announced that Tam Kurtz to be their mm-hmm. first team manager. Those are the kind of examples to people. I know Tam Kurtz did play um, at a low league level in Scotland, mm-hmm. but he is kind of outside the football world in a sense. He's not a, a Barry Ferguson coming into management. He's not a Steven Gerrard walking into management, like a household name that you would know. So it's good to see there are people um, breaking through and getting these opportunities because otherwise all these coaching badges just become redundant and it's just a pile of people with certificates mm-hmm. that can't get in. I think I'm at a very good level just now with Strathclyde University. Um, they're a really good uni team, really well run, playing a decent amateur league, playing a really good um, university league on a Wednesday. I'm I'm quite happy where I am just now, especially to do my A-license with the, the being fortunate enough to have a paid gig, which is kind of what you're aspiring to do because most people know when you first start out in coaching you're doing two three years as volunteer whilst also paying for your own badges mm-hmm. so as you are just investing in the hope that it pays off eventually but like we said it's look how many people have these badges which is why i was always in such a rush to get them done because i was always looking at you've maybe got 90 people doing a license each year so there's 90 people becoming more qualified than you every year you don't get to the top level yeah. So the idea was always get to the A and then just work on coaching with Strathclyde whilst I, I want to be a head coach, don't want to be an assistant. So I've got that just now. And it just lets you practice your craft, learn what kind of manager you'd want to be. And then it's really just sniffing out when there's opportunities within academies for a Scottish Premier League side. And then I think from there, it's just working your way up. And there is an element of it helps to know people. Mm-hmm. And I do think the Scots Abroad podcast and doing different podcasts and doing these licenses has helped me a lot get in front of different people to where I would have been a year ago, where I wouldn't know where to start to contact an academy director to see if you could come watch sessions, if there was any opportunities coming up. And I feel like that's slowly changing. So I'm always like fingers crossed. People like Tam Kurtz really works out. David Martindale really works out. I know Callum Davidson had a massive professional career behind him but mm-hmm. his first year in management is rewarded with like a historic two trophies so all these stories that help and keep out the the managers that are normally on the merry-go-round yeah will create space for younger coaches to come in and if academy if Dundee United um, promote from within their academy then the academy will do the same it'll be an academy coach that takes coach position 
it'll be another person that takes that and then presumably they'll then hire a younger coach to take on the vacant post that's came out from outside. So I think that's, I think Scottish football is in such a unique position as well outside of coaching whereby we should just develop what's there, mm-hmm. whether it's players, staff or otherwise, and just constantly cash in on it and hopefully they just keep going on, keep going higher till they get to a level at, like an Ian Caffro, where he's the first team coach at a Wolves last season. Mm-hmm. Um, and just keep going on like that on a conveyor belt. Yeah, absolutely. And you, and you touched on his, his name there because that's the, 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 exactly what I was thinking about when you were speaking about your, your aims and aspirations. I, I remember, obviously, you, you know, I'm a, I'm a Hearts fan and, and I remember being so excited about the appointment of Ian Cathro um, for, for a couple of reasons. Like I thought his coaching background and the stuff that he'd gone and done and achieved was really impressive, but also like this is different. This is a different approach. This isn't a recognised name from the world of Scottish football management and, and we're trying something different here and the only way you're ever really going to challenge the status quo is by pushing boundaries and doing something different. Um, I can't tell you how disappointed I was that it didn't work out, both from the point of view of the success of my club, but also what that might mean for opportunities for people like yourself who are going away and grafting and getting the right badges. So it's good to see guys like Davey Martindale um, being successful despite not having a, a glittering football career behind them. Tam Court's getting a chance at Dundee United as well. It does. It gives people like yourself who are going through that process to to get your badges it gives you gives you hope doesn't it yeah 100 and i always i remember so when cafro got appointed or it might have just been before he was appointed i was doing my, my c license and we asked the assessors about him mm-hmm. and they all raved about him like like similar to what to similar to how he got the job everyone raved about him from within the sfa they talked with this really exciting coach really forward thinking and then on top of that they told you about austin mcphee Mm-hmm. He had presented, I'd done a CPD event where he was presenting on the video analysis he'd done for Northern Ireland. And it was like, oh my God, this is like a dream team of young up-and-coming coaches that are going to be a whole new thing. And it did just seem, it seemed cursed from the start, though. You've probably seen it already with the Tam Court stuff. It was uh, from the minute he was linked, mm-hmm. it was a bad appointment before people even knew any credentials. And I'd done the same thing I did. I just asked around within people that I knew that I'd either worked with him at Dundee United or had seen him do his licenses with SFA. And again, everyone, glowing references, said he'd be really exciting, really hungry, um, really forward thinking. And I, I just can't see it being a... If Dundee United fans buy in, I can't see that being a bad appointment. And it will motivate people to keep doing their badges because they'll see that there are op- there are actual opportunities in Scotland for people to move on, um, maybe in the same way that there, there has been for years in Germany. I know it's that their model's taken a long time. So it's like been like since 1998, they were really building that model of what they wanted their, their whole structure of football clubs to be. But Scotland should be doing that because it's a much cheaper option to get people like me into your club mm-hmm. whilst we've paid for our own badges and kind of cash in whilst we're not commanding realistically any wage at all. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Well, good luck with that. All the best. Um, keep us posted on how it's how it's all going. Uh, it sounds sounds exciting. So um, so yeah, let's let's see how it goes. Um, let's talk about you, like growing up as a football fan. Then, so um, you don't make much secret of about it. You're uh, you follow the the blue and white side of Glasgow, don't you? How was how was that growing up in, in yeah, Glasgow? Do you know what we did? So obviously, our podcast isn't just Scots abroad. I've said to I've said to you guys before. I am honestly useless with the technical stuff so we have someone in gary black who is just an amazing producer mm. used to used to do all this stuff does it what's for digital media really talented so he does all of that stuff so we were always going back and forth always with when we finally did a scots abroad page we should try and keep it completely neutral completely away from explaining whether we were rangers or celtic mm-hmm. because we didn't want people to detract any opinion that we posted but after a while, we realized that, like, I didn't post differently, whether it was Johnny Russell, Lewis Morgan, or Jack Henry, to whether it was David Bates or Bob Malcolm mm-hmm. or Graham Dorans. It was never any different. We, we never pulled punches. But, yes, I am a, a Rangers fan, and I have very slowly not really been trying to hide that on the Scots Abroad. I don't think it's made any difference at all, actually. I think people mm-hmm. have kind of responded to it fine. So we were a wee bit panicky about that. We've seen loads of other people step out, so we're like, you know what? No, no, it's... There's no point in hiding it because it's going to be obvious when I talk about certain people, especially when I talk to the likes of David Bates, Bob Malcolm, Stephen Lennon, because I'm talking about 
when Le Guin came in or when Kishinya came in. And it's very obvious that I've been at the games. I'm talking about it from a fan's point of view. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I've always... I had no option. It was my uncle's team. It was my brother's team who's older than me. Always going to be a Rangers fan. That was never going to be an option. And I went to Rangers games for the minute. I was maybe eight, eight or nine. I think my first game was eight. I think I started going regularly when I was about nine or ten. And when when was that then? Was that in the extremely successful time of the 90s? Yeah, the first game I went to was the Old Firm game. Uh, Ibrox, where Celtic fans were banned and John Collins uh, stuck an absolute screamer in the top corner against Colin Scott in his debut mm-hmm. and the game ended 1-1 and then my next game after that was the Scottish Cup final that year when um, Ali Maxwell made an arse of a clearance and Dundee <laughs> United won 1-0 so my, my first cup final was a defeat um, I think my second, fi- my second cup final was a defeat as well I went to the 98 Scottish Cup final against Hearts at Parkhead mm. after we had failed to win 10 in a row. But yeah, so up until that point, me watching football was just successful. Scotland mm. made international tournaments. I didn't <laughs> know football could be crap, to be honest, until <laughs> 97, 98. Oh uh, yeah, well, that's fond memories for me. That's one of my earliest memories of football is the '98 Cup final. But um, but yeah, it would have been a been a sore one for for those at Rangers. Um, no, well, that's cool. I, I'm totally in agreement with you when it comes to doing podcasts and stuff. I, I just don't think there's much point in hiding it. I think there's something quite nice and transparent about being honest about who you support, and then people know. People at least are able to level with you and understand where you're where your background in football comes from and where your allegiances lie. And as long as you don't let it get in the way of the, the conversations that you have, exactly. then, then what's the problem? <laughs> exactly. That's, I totally agree. And if you're not honest about it, then people are just going to tell tell you that you support <laughs> whoever anyway. So, um, aye, no, well, that's good. Uh, I'm, I'm interested then just generally on what life as a Rangers fan has, has been like for you over the course of the last sort of decade or so because it's not been it's not been the, the most glamorous uh, time in the club's history how, how have you found it all it, it was just really interesting one of our last guests so we had jack harper on a monday but the week before we had robbie crawford on that was that was as interesting as an interview as i've had from a perspective of someone inside of it all because that was the first person we were able actually to speak to and find out what was going on because david bates came a lot later speaking to him it was alarming because you know he's a he's professional footballer he's well trained in media he's not going to give you too much but he gave you everything we felt i always felt like when it happened it was gutting never quite came to terms with it until the season started but once we came back from that season i think me and all my friends were aligned in the opinion that we should have just done a full youth system mm-hmm. see if it took an extra year to get out of that third division but we had crawford mcleod barry mckay um, Ross Perry, Chris Hegarty, Andy Little, all the young players playing regularly. Mm-hmm. And it might have actually brought us forward and we could have built a model similar to what I was talking about with Scottish football coaches where we played our youth players, we cashed in on them at the right times and we replaced them with youth players because with our academy structure, the type of youth players we would have recruited, we could have came through those divisions anyway, in my opinion, maybe mm-hmm. with one or two key signings and it might have been more exciting because everyone responds much better when it's their own players that are breaking through. You've probably seen that this year with Rangers with Nathan Patterson. You just take to somebody when you know they're your own academy player. But coming through those divisions, the football was bad. The football was tough to watch. And it always felt like from the outside looking in that we just signed players that were better in the division and didn't bother training, Mm -hmm. didn't bother trying. It was just... Yeah, we've got Chris Boyd, Kenny Miller, Nicky Lawna. We don't we win these games anyway. And for the most part, we were right. But when it was going to fall apart, it was going to fall apart dramatically like it did in the championship. Mm-hmm. And that season was just horrendous. That's that's got to be got to be up there for the worst seasons that I've ever watched of football. It was so, so bad that championship year. Not for you, obviously, Thomas, but <laughs> that was that was awful that year. That was the worst. So that was always coming. But then when Warburton came in, there was a he was, he was this exciting coach as well. Um, we've watched a lot of him for Brentford, seen the style of football he played, really exciting. Started really well, dominated that division, got to a cup final, unlucky to lose, but we're just completely flat out. And to be honest, when we came back up, I was expecting us to just go straight to challenging because mm-hmm. we'd strolled that division, but what we didn't see was Celtic getting 
Brendan Rodgers. Like mm. that, that was the that was the joker in the pack, kind of. Like Scottish football is not going to get a manager with that proven credential walking into a job like that at that time had it not been for the perfect storm of him being out of work, reputation slightly tarnished with what had happened at Liverpool, Celtic going for this historic nine in a row. It was just, they, they had the allure to get him, they had the allure to get him there. Yeah. And the football they played over two seasons just absolutely, it was, Rangers could have caught potentially a, a Ronnie Dyer Celtic side, but Brendan Rodgers just took them to two or three levels higher, which just made it, which meant we had to build so much mm-hmm. from the ground up. And then Gerard comes in and for two years, it it wasn't, wasn't the greatest. There was, there was constantly signs. The European runs were great. We finally beat Celtic. We beat them again. We beat Manchester, beat them at Parkhead. And we kept having this blip after January. Really kind of unexplainable. Not really sure what had happened, but the third season, got it right. Got it lucky. Um, I think we got. We I wouldn't say we got lucky, but I think his signings are just incredible. I don't know if it's. Don't know if it's totally attributable to Gerard, Ross Wilson, the whole staff that's there identifying these players. Anyone who watched Scottish football with the seen Glenn Kamara, he would have got picked up. Mm-hmm. But to find him at a time you're paying fifty grand for him is just remarkable. Um, Joe Rebo, I'd seen some. I'd seen some games for Charlton on Sky when he was in League One, and he, he did kind of stand out in that, that season. Mm-hmm. But again, he wouldn't have been a player that I thought Rangers would be able to get. So the recruitment again nailed on. Barisic was a unique one. He played against us, and it was so obvious that this left-back from the team that we had just knocked out was amazing, was a standout player over two legs, and we had to have him because it was a position we were missing. And then we finally got Morelos and Kent to have six months together, the same six months in top form and the run into that season, which has led us to here and finally winning that that title back, which has been gone for so long. Yeah, yeah. I think um some of the stuff you touched on there is it's, it's shared amongst a lot of Rangers fans, at least at least from my perspective, that seems to be the case. There is a lot of frustration about the approach that was taken um, you know, in the in the lower divisions. And I think you're right in the that championship season where it kind of derailed. It wasn't necessarily about the mistakes that were made that season. It was about the complacency of the of the seasons previous as well. Um, and yeah, you're right. Uh, coming back up to the the Premiership, one of the worst things that could have happened was actually beating Celtic um, the the season previous <laughs> yeah. because it gave them that real impetus to go and think. Right, we need to we need to be better now um, for this challenge that's obviously coming. And then they just made themselves so significantly better that any challenge that that you guys wanted to put up was just never going to happen. Um, and uh, and I think those sort of tough times for Rangers fans. That's probably what's contributed to last season just presumably feeling so um you know incredibly great for for, for rangers fans um is, is that is that fair to say the tough times are, are what's made it feel just so good yeah but it's just a relief like mm. that that's that's all i've ever felt i feel i feel like there's obviously there's so many generations of rangers fans just now but the thing that's so obvious is there's, there's some young people that are like 19 20 and this will really be the first title they remember winning with their pals because there yeah. have been kids before that, like like I was during nine in a row. But for like me growing up, it was almost kind of expected. And I've I've almost kind of I'm I'm from a privileged position of having seen so many titles being won the mm. whole time of being an adult as well. And uh, I'm kind of that way where like see when the title was won, I had a big party that day, and then see once that was done, I was kind of like, right, cool, that's fine. Now we we should have won a treble. We need to go do do that next season. We need to win a cup. We need to try and get in the Champions League group stages. But I'm also watching these people who have never celebrated the title yet also try to relish and enjoy the fact that we did win the title and all the 55 memorabilia, 55 being lauded to this like the achievement it was. But to me, I'm almost kind of like quite quite negative. I'm like, right, well, let's go and win it again now. Let's go mm-hmm. and get in the Champions League. Because this, this is what Rangers used to do. It was always the same. You celebrated that weekend, then it was like, right, cool, that's summer. Now we need to go win the league again. And I, I do get that. When I see interviews with Gerard. I'm like, yep, that, that's all he's focused on, is going and winning a second one and going and winning a treble, which is good because that's where we want to be, 55. I, I almost worry just a little bit about the, if we don't have that mentality right, is you'll maybe see a drop-off like you did with Liverpool if it's not right. Yeah. We're by the kind of, 
that hoodoo of, oh, we really need to win this title, we really need to win this title. And then definitely what you seem to feel like Liverpool was, they won that title and it was kind of like, right, mission accomplished. And it took them, I know they lost Van Dijk, but it did feel like it took them until they were almost out of the Champions League this year, until they started hitting form. And I yeah. don't want, I don't want Rangers to think anything's achieved because it should be, we should be going on and trying to win two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten in a row now. That should be our mission to go forward. So I'm, I'm relieved. I'm happy, but I'm also hungry to like go back to when I wasn't getting slagged off all my Celtic pals every week. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now nah, you're 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 spot on there. It's not the the job isn't done by stopping ten in a row and getting fifty five. It's it's about. Um, re-establishing Rangers where, where they want to be which is dominating Scottish football on a, on a yearly basis isn't it and I, and I get the impression from uh, Stephen Gerrard that, that that's his ambition as well it's not just a case of right my job's done here so you know on to the next thing he seems to want to take Rangers to the, to the next level and, and I expect that, that you're going to see that next season Yeah I think the club is in such a good position just now Um even with all the stuff with the share issue, trying to figure out what the motivation behind stuff like that is. I think when you look at this club and the assets within the playing squad that we have, the asset that we have at the top of it and the manager, and even Michael Beale, I think he would make a, a tremendous head coach for someday if the opportunity came up. I think we've got so many assets and the potential of if you win this league this year, mm-hmm. you're also in the Champions League. There's so much money to be made and that benefits not just Rangers, but it does benefit the entirety of Scottish football as well to get, if we can get in the Champions League both seasons, even if it has to be Rangers and Celtic, it's so much money in the league and it's so much money for Rangers so that when bids do come for Kent Morelos, we can almost then ask for the silly money that you see championship players in England going for because that mm-hmm. should be what we're pointing to as the the market value now. Maybe not the, the premiership figures, but definitely what you see people going down to the championship for is what we should now be commanding for these players going forward and then that will complete the kind of journey that Ross Wilson said we were on which is we get to a point where we're actually selling assets and making a lot of money and buying players for reasonable money and doing the same again like he's seen happen at Southampton with so many players he took from Scotland so many players they got through the youth system and just build that um, conveyor belt of finance coming in yeah, yeah. Well, big season ahead with that that uh, carrot at the end of it of of Champions League football. So let's let's see how it goes. I think just to, to really quickly touch on it as well as a successful year as it has been um, for Rangers. And without being too unkind, because there might be some uh, fans of a green white persuasion listening, although probably not too many. Um, the the wheels really have quite spectacular come off at Celtic Park. Um, what what do you think about that? Was it? Was it destined to happen when Rangers had success that, that Celtic would spiral, spiral out of control? Or, you know, what, what, what's your take on all that? It's hard to tell. I think we kind of touched on it a little bit. I always look back at that Rangers semi-final um, in Warburton's first season, where if Dyla had knocked us out the cup and we're on to win the double, he would have still been the manager. So this, I, I do feel like there is an element, and I think Celtic fans have always been aware of it, is that the board will the Celtic board seem to always go safe and cost effective. Mm. And I think a lot of Rangers fans jumped ship when Neil Lennon got made the permanent manager um two and two and a half season two seasons ago. And he'd won the double and we were all celebrating la- almost I remember a lot of my pals laughing, going, they're idiot, I cannot believe they've appointed him. This has mm. played right in our hands. But he was also a manager that had won the title before and his spell there previously. Um, he just finished off that season with double and went on to win a treble. So I, I don't know that they could have changed the manager as soon as fans would have wanted. But I also do think the warning signs were there very quickly for them to have made moves and maybe prevented what we've seen happening, which was Rangers seemed to have stepped up a gear and Celtic had stagnated. Because I don't think, I don't think they could have done much to stop Rangers winning that league, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter what they'll say with um, Neil Lennon being left in the job not having a manager set up to replace him maybe not moving on members of the playing squad at the right time I still don't think they could have done anything to stop Rangers I, I just never lost a game <laughs> so I don't see where the where the case for that to be otherwise but that's I guess that's not really for us to really speculate too much on 
Mm-hmm. But it'll be interesting to see what what actually does happen next, because I'm almost I can't be contradictory to what I said at the start. I'm a little bit nervous about what this the guy from Australia might bring mm-hmm. because he's very much unknown. So I wouldn't be one to be quickly jumping to write him off right away. But I, as part of our betting podcast, we do follow a lot of Japanese football, mm. and although he won the league two seasons ago, he's been. 28 and 30 points off of top of the table um, the following seasons, which isn't specifically what you'd expect from someone you're bringing in to manage Celtic. Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah, uh, It's an interesting summer ahead, isn't it? Um, it's it's dragged on at Celtic quite a bit, um, the, this whole search for a new manager. I completely agree with you as well. You just have to look at Rangers' points tally um, to, to see that um, you know, pretty much no matter what Celtic did last season, um, 102 points is going to be it's going to be impossible to match. So, um, as much as the the wheels did fall off, um, you know, the Celtic still could have had a, a successful season in terms of a points tally and still could have fallen short. So, um, so yeah, you're right. But it's it really has it really has gone gone sour there, and it's going to be interesting to see what the the summer brings for them and and the next season. But whoever comes in, if it is uh, Ange. Post the Coglu, then he's got a, a big job on his hands, doesn't he? Well, he needs to figure out who's staying. That mm. that's that to me. I, I find it remarkable that I find it remarkable and disrespectful. I think you've probably seen what Neil Lennon actually did have to deal with within that mm-hmm. squad. That players like Ayer can go away in international duty and say that the best solution would be to leave, whilst he's still contracted to a club that pays wages. Mm-hmm. I think I think that shows the. Although he's he was probably one of the better performers throughout the season, it seems to show a bit of disrespect towards the fans in the club for me that he's commenting on that whilst he's still contracted, um, whilst he's away from the club. It seems a wee bit seems a wee bit mental and probably shows you what Neil Lennon is actually having to deal with behind the scenes with some of the the main players that were only performing. Yeah, one hundred percent. I don't think ten in a row mattered as much to some of these guys as it did to the fans and to Lennon and the other members of the the coaching staff. I think that's that's quite apparent now. So, yeah, big summer ahead for them. Um, talking about the summer, uh, we've got something that we can we can all be excited about in Scotland for once, um, or most of us anyway. Um, <laughs> the national team have obviously made a return to to a major tournament for the first time in a long time. So how, how excited are you as someone that follows the, the careers of Scottish footballers in loads of different uh, countries across the world? How excited are you about the national team getting a, a crack at some um, some big teams in, in a major tournament? Yeah, I, I, honestly, I, I don't know what's happening. I, I feel like there's maybe a wee bit of a karma hitting back my way. I'm not saying anyone else doesn't have karma coming their way. But <laughs> see, just being in the midst of this whole lockdown, mm. being robbed of going to football that I pay to go to all the time, to see Rangers win a title in Scotland qualify for the first tournament since 98. It's, it's just absolute carnage. And then the whole palaver of having my ticket for the Czech Republic game and having to figure out if it was ever going to go ahead with fans and then being told there would be fans, but only 12,500. And then try to figure out what was happening with the UEFA ballot tickets. And then it's saying you're still in the ballot, but you need to reballot because we sold 20,000 tickets. We can only have 6,000 now and to then getting the tickets confirmed for the Czech Republic game. So now it's like, I'm like a kid at Christmas. Mm-hmm. Every day I'm like, right, well, that's six more sleeps, <laughs> five more sleeps. And people just don't get it, but it is this bad. Like I am I am dying for waking up on Monday night, eh, Monday <laughs> morning, and going in, going into Glasgow, heading over to the game, and just getting inside the stadium. It just, people have said it before, it's gotten, it's only 12,500. However, I've taken my daughter to a couple of Scotland games in the past and it'll be the same attendance as she's seen for most of the games, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Ah, well, yeah, there's, there's there's two sides to it. Obviously, it's, it is gotten that it's a small number in attendance, but it's a, it's a massive number by comparison to what football has been like over the course of the last year. And, and even those games that have been at a reduced capacity that we've started to see creep back in it's just great to see fans back and now you've got a situation where Scotland are going to be playing at a major tournament and there are going to be fans there and it's something that we can just surely we all need to just get behind and be really excited about don't we do you know, do you know what it was it was watching the Dundee Kilmarnock playoff mm-hmm. and Kilmarnock fans booing Charlie Adam and it, was <laughs> a, and it was the first time I'd heard booing in like a year inside a football stadium and I was like that is so nice just hearing nothing but 
because all you heard was falls cheering yeah. all the time. And just to hear, I love Charlie Adams, so it's no disrespect to Charlie Adam, <laughs> but just hearing a player get booed by a fan, I was like, yes, that's it. That's actually football. And it'll be the same if Czech Republic have a chance at goal. If the player commits a foul, it'll just be booing. It'll be actual atmosphere at the game. And the added value of Scotland is that because the way this Euros is formatted now with the, the teams that are in it, mm-hmm. it's almost harder not to go through the group than it is get sent home. Mm-hmm. So it's easier to go through. Because yeah. a win against Czech Republic, we, we were looking at a couple of the groups. A win against Czech Republic probably means we go through in third place if we don't pick up any other points because of what I'm predicting the results in Group B and C being where I think like third and third place in both those groups will have less than three points. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, that's, that's it. That's us done. Job's done. As long as England and Croatia do their job against Czech Republic. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I think, I think that's why we've seen Clark go with Adams and Dykes in the last game. Cause I think he probably smells that a wee bit as if he gets a win against Czech Republic, that is huge. And that he's kept, the thing I've really liked about Steve Clark, which is probably unusual for a Rangers fan to say out loud <laughs> is for this demeanor that he has, see when you take away his tone mm. and his face, he's actually very positive. <laughs> like he's been talking in every interview about his going through, about yeah. his, about not being happy with the history we've made getting here, but about being the first male team to get out of group stage. And I'm mm-hmm. like going, see if he just had somebody that could just talk to him about his personality and demeanor. He'd be a totally different person. Because everything he says is positive and you have to kind of double take and go, was, was that good news or bad news Steve Clark just gave us? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right. No, you are right. I, I was going to ask about that, like the, the overall kind of approach that you're taking to it. I, I, I don't think you are one of these fans, but there are some people that are just delighted that we're there and we're getting a crack at it. Um, I, I get the impression that there's a bit of that for you, but it's like, yeah, but there's, a, there's an opportunity here. Let's see how far we can get. Do you feel good about our chances? Yeah, I, I, honestly, I, it, do you know the, the enigma for me, I think England will top that group. I, do, I don't buy into England being bad. I, I look at their team and see Grealish, Mount, Foden, Sterling, Rashford, mm-hmm. Kane, Calvert-Lewin will be on the bench. I, I can't see them not getting maximum points in our group, unfortunately, mm-hmm. which does involve them fucking beating us um, <laughs> in the second game. But for me, it's I've watched Croatia twice in in the last couple of international breaks. In one game, they were amazing. And the second game in Belgium, after 20 minutes, I felt like Belgium, oh, Belgium are a great side, but they really fell off. It looked like if you got in the face of Modric, which I think McGinn or McTominay will do, you could kind of stifle their play a little bit. Mm-hmm. From watching Barisic up close for two years now, he doesn't look the same person for Croatia as he does for Rangers. It's just a different style of play. Perisic is very much the one they play to him and then Perisic, Perisic is to go one-on-one with the fullback and not have Barisic come up. So it's a totally different player. Um, so I, I am, I'm like going, with the exception of Modric, am I looking at Croatia as being the, the same thing they were that got to a World Cup three years ago? No, not not anywhere near, but also understanding that it's still Luka Modric they have in their team yeah. and he can turn it on. There's a reason he's still at Real Madrid. Because mm-hmm. he can turn it on whenever he has to. And if he does, we'll be in trouble. Um, but Czech Republic's the one that we... we, we I, I noticed um, Scotland are like even money to qualify, but they're, they're 19 to 10, almost 21 to beat Czech Republic, which to me is almost the same bet. Mm-hmm. So I would just be betting on that. And I think I do get the air that the players know that that's the game they have to turn up for. They have to put the occasion kind of to the side and make sure we beat Czech Republic, which we have done previously. Mm-hmm. So we do have, I know they were COVID-stricken at the time, but yeah, beating Czech Republic needs to be the thing. And if we do that, I could imagine as if we needed to get a point against Croatia at Hamden, we could dig in and get the four points. Four points guarantees you through. You're not getting, you're not getting a fifth or sixth team having four points in that position no. unless groups really, really, really go upside down and how I've predicted them. Yeah. Oh, it's exciting, isn't it? It's great. It is great to be there, and and it's good to hear positivity about the the opportunity we've got to try and uh, make further history by actually getting out of a group stage. And then at that point, it it really is just, um, you know, anything can happen. We've seen it um, with Rangers reaching 
latter stages of European tournaments. We've seen it with um, you know teams like Wales getting to semi-finals in the Euros and stuff. Like you get, if you build yourself with a solid backline and then just stop the other team from scoring, then what 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 stops you from from getting through a few rounds that you maybe didn't expect to? I'm not saying we're going to be there towards the end of the tournament, but it's good to be positive and and think about what the possibilities are, isn't it? Yeah, but it's also it's so because uh, in my head I'm going if everything goes right, you could make the quarters, and then that's just that's just amazing. That's like the perf- That's as good as a summer could have been for us. But also depending on where you finish in the third place landings, you could end up with any one of the teams from other groups: Spain, France, Germany, Portugal, mm. and then it's right. Okay, well, the last sixteen was as far as we were meant to go. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, exciting times. Um... The the last thing, just on that on the national team, um, there's there's a fairly settled group of players, um, but there's a couple of positions that are perhaps up for grabs. Do you think that there's going to be any surprises in the team that Steve Clark selects for that first game? It's actually really nice. That the thing that bug that the only thing that bugs me right, and I don't like to bring into the negativity too much. In my head, one hundred percent, no disrespect to Stephen O'Donnell. And this isn't just Rangers bias because I'll clarify this. He, to me, is the fourth best right wing back in the squad just now. Mm. Um, I watched uh, Ryan Fraser and James Forrest play against Holland. I watched Patterson when he came on. I know it was against the 10 men Luxembourg side. They all look so much more comfortable going forward. But the caveat to that was Patterson did get torn to shreds twice off of Rodriguez in Mm -hmm. that spell who looks a very talented player. I know he, he ripped Ireland apart the, the previous international break. But going forward, and that is a big part of why we have three centre-halves, is because we want the wing-backs to go forward. Patterson did look like it was like a, a new lease of life. Ryan Fraser, I know it was against Faroe Islands, looked fantastic. Forrest looked really sharp for someone who's played so few games for Celtic this season yeah. when he came on against Holland. But at the same time, Stephen O'Donnell is comfortably the best defender out of them all mm-hmm. and I think that's just from positional organisation and understanding through being at Kilmarnock, working with Steve Clark, probably normally he wants, being at a lesser team like Motherwell when they play, had to play Rangers Celtic, Hibs, Aberdeen and digging so he's very comfortable with shape and understanding where he should be and that is why we've kind of got this left-sided slope where we play down Tierney, Robert, uh, Tierney Robertson and you'll see one of the two strikers play off of that gap or John McGinn go in there and kind of neglect it a little bit. But what I seen when Patterson came on on Sunday was the ball started to go out right mm-hmm. at, at real regularity. And it felt almost like we either had changed the system or players were more comfortable going to that side because they had someone who was similar out to Tierney Robertson and, and being an attacking fullback. So that would be the one position for me that if I was picking my best, O'Donnell wouldn't be that, but I think he'll be in it. I think mm-hmm. he'll be handy picks. And as for this, the midfielders, it's a toss-up. To, it'd be a toss-up for me between Billy Gilmore and Callum McGregor just because I think Callum McGregor has just looked so devoid of what, what was so good about him a year ago. He, he was good. He was to be fair, Cal McGregor was immense in Serbia, but since then, you've got to imagine the whole the whole Celtic form is going to have taken its toll. It's definitely taken its toll on Ryan Christie, because if you told me after that Serbia game that Ryan Christie might not be a starter in the opening game of the Euros, I would have assumed he was injured. Yeah, I wouldn't assume he was in the squad, and I don't. I, I really don't see a situation where Ryan. I would say Ryan Christie's probably fourth or fifth choice for that spot because Stuart Armstrong was so good against Holland. Um, Dykes and Che Adams look like they work well together. And then you've got Fraser and Forrest who can both play off the front. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm almost looking at it and going, Ryan Christie might actually be the weakest of those options. And that's where James Forrest has only played five or six games since returning. So it'll, it'll really depend. But Billy Gilmore and and... Probably Ryan Fraser at wing back are probably the two people I'd bring in over what I believe will be the starting eleven of O'Donnell and McGregor in those positions. 
Yeah, I think I think you're right. Those are the ones that seem a little bit up for grabs, and it's 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 good in a way, isn't it? It's, it's headaches for Steve Clark because they 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 are all quite good options. So again, probably not a place that we're uh, we're too familiar with as Scotland fans, yeah. but but good good that it's happening. So yeah, loads to look forward to, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy that game uh, next week. Um, yeah, like you said, only a few more sleeps, so you'll be you'll be on your countdown, I'm sure. Um, oh, cool. Uh, listen, it's been great chatting to you, uh, John. I think um, I think it's it's right to say that um, people who follow the fourth official might be hearing a, a little bit more of your voice in the future. What's happening there? Yeah. So, the, just you'll know as well, Thomas, from hosting all the podcasts that you do, that the fourth official is going to have guests and content coming out its ears mm-hmm. for its Patreon and regular listeners on Acast, etc. So because of that, they were asking just if there was anyone else who were able to or willing to um, join in and hosting and doing interviews. And I've been not hamstrung, but I've always wanted to just stick to Scots Abroad on my Scots Abroad channel. And there has been chances to do interviews with people that would have been super interesting. And it would have just been totally sacrificing a kind of brand that I'd built on the basis just to get a good guest on. And being at the fourth official with the, the idea that you guys have, the guests that you have lined up and the contacts that you have, it's just going to allow me to kind of explore and bring good podcasts to the fourth official. I know you guys have got so many Patreon subscribers, so that's good to start with. And then also getting new listeners when they realize the type of content you're putting out. Yeah, brilliant. Well, look, it's good. It's great. It's going to be good to share the load. I'm sure there's going to be stuff that we'll collaborate on. I'm looking forward to it already. So, um, so yeah, excellent. That's that's really good to hear. Um, listen, that's us. Thanks for um, thanks for taking the time this evening. It's really good to speak to you. Um, and yeah, really looking forward to the summer ahead and, and working on some stuff in in the future. So, nice one. I'm sure we'll speak soon. Cheers. Thanks so much. If you enjoy interviews from the world of Scottish football like this one and our articles, then please consider becoming a fourth official subscriber on Patreon. You'll get access to bonus material and all of our content there first for as little as £2.99 per month. Help us to tackle the mainstream media by becoming a subscriber now at patreon.com slash the fourth official.